In Jesus' precious name, we love you, Lord, and uh, you're so good to us. And you bless us with a salvation that we don't deserve. And, uh, and then you give us the Holy Spirit so you don't leave us as orphans. And the Holy Spirit walks with us and empowers us to do your work and changes us from within. But you also give us a family, Lord. And so I thank you in this culture of lies that there is a remnant. There is a remnant that wants the truth, that loves your word and wants to hear the word preached. And part of that remnant, there's a, there's a remnant in Kitsap County and a small part of that remnant is here today, Lord. They love you and your truth. They're fed up with the lies of this world. And so they want to hear your truth proclaimed. And so I pray, Lord, that they would not be disappointed, that you would cancel the man, that you would anoint me with your spirit, that you would empower me to proclaim your truth so that I would not lead anyone astray. I pray, Lord, you'd give us all the courage to test what we hear from this pulpit today. Test it with with your word. Your word is the final authority. Not some guy standing behind a pulpit. That we would test all things with your word and hold fast to that which is good. I pray that um, you would help us to receive truth from your word. And that your spirit um, would enable us, empower us to apply these truths to our lives from the heart for your glory. And we just love you, Lord, but just please, Lord, help us to love you more. We depend on you, but help us to depend on you more. As our government turns against good people, um, just help us uh, to depend less and less on the government and more and more on you and on your people, for we are your family. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Okay, so Philippians chapter 2. Now Paul closed the first chapter of Philippians um, by encouraging the Philippians to live for Christ and to be willing uh, to suffer for Christ. And now Paul's going to tell them how to do this. And so praise God that we have Paul's letter to the Philippians because now we're going to be told how to live for Christ and how to be willing to suffer for Christ. And since Paul is telling the Philippians this, uh, he, it, it has been copied it has been recognized that this by the early church, that this is the Holy Spirit speaking to his church. Not just the entire church back then, but the entire church throughout the centuries. And so this was called part of the canon of scripture. And so we can learn what Paul taught the Philippians. And I praise God for that. In verses 1 through 4, Paul tells us to be united in Christ through humble service. Now, you know, we got things like the United Nations out there where they want all mankind to get united. And it sounds real good. Let's all get together. We're all brothers. Let's get together. We're all brothers and sisters. And then you find out they want us to unite with them against God and unite with them in their lies rather than uniting in truth. Paul wants us to be united, but he wants us to be united in truth and united in that which is good and be united in Christ. 
God showed us his opinion of mankind being united while still in rebellion against God. That was the Tower of Babel. Whenever mankind unites and we're still in rebellion against God, believe me, we're going to blow this planet up. Okay? And so God in his mercy has kept us divided enough. And it's not really dividing a people. The gospel message gets preached to, to all different sorts of ethnic groups of people. What God does not want is the consolidation of power. And so, um, you know, originally when God instituted human government, it was just Noah and his family. So his first families, the heads of the household, the head of the household is the big kahuna or whatever you call it. And um, then as time got on, the families got bigger. You had different tribes. So it was tribal government. Okay. Then eventually it got so big that they were uh, nation states. Okay. The bigger the government gets, the more problems you have. The more power is placed in the hands of the few so they can dominate over others. So with the United Nations and this global one world government agenda, that's not the kind of unity that God is talking about. By the way, we will have our one world government someday, and it's going to be ruled by the perfect, all-powerful, all-good King of Kings and Lord of Lords. His name is Jesus. Until then, we need a separation of powers, okay? system of checks and balances, things of that sort. And... Um, you know, some people think all law is federal law. There's no law, no federal law against murder. Those are all state laws. And so the idea that uh, the state should give up their sovereignty, that's not a biblical idea. So keep in mind, the unity that the world is talking about is different from the unity that the Bible talks about. We want to be united in Christ, okay? And Jesus even went so far to say in John chapter 13... The world will know that you're my disciples when you have love for one another. So if the world sees that we have a unity in here that they're missing out there, that might attract them to Jesus' people, which might attract them to Jesus. Okay, But that's the kind of unity we want. Uh, unity... If you place unity over truth and unity over love and unity over Christ, that is a demonic unity. Okay? So we love everybody, but we're united in Christ, not apart from Christ. And Paul tells how to get that. Now, look at uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation, you know, any encouragement in Christ, let me ask you this. And it's real clear in the Greek, not so much in the English. Is there any encouragement and consolation in Christ? You bet there is. So Paul's asking uh, questions here that it's a, it's a no-brainer, yes, answer. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort in Christ, and if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, and then he says, fulfill my joy, make my joy complete. So he's basically saying that these are not things we 
might have in Christ. These are things we have access to in Christ. We have encouragement in Christ. We have the comfort of love. We have the fellowship of the Spirit. We have affection and mercy. So, so Paul's saying, hey, if we have these things, and we do, then I want you Philippians to make my joy complete by being united. Okay? Now, ask ourselves as we, as we have church, you know, we're just a small slice of the church, not just a small slice of the church on the globe. We're a small slice of the church in Kitsap County. And granted, there are a lot of churches in Kitsap County that if I were not a pastor, I would not attend. But there's a few churches in Kitsap County that I know of that are solid churches preaching the word. And I bet you could multiply that number by five or ten of even more Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches, but it's just that they're so small that we don't even know they exist. Maybe some of them meet in the homes, or they rent a little place like we did for 33 years of our existence as a church. Um, There are other churches um, that are proclaiming God's truth, but people, even though we're just a little slice of the church on planet Earth, when people come here, do they see consolation in Christ, encouragement in Christ, and comfort of love? Do they see that we fellowship with one another, that we share what we have in common, that we love Jesus? If I love Jesus and you love Jesus, that's good enough for me. And we fellowship um, with, with each other, fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Do we have affection for one another? Are we merciful to one another? Are we just totally unforgiving? with each other. Those are the kinds of things um, that people need to see here at Trinity Bible Fellowship um, if they're going to see God at work. That's a choice that every church has. Is my church going to be, you know, should, should we put up a man at work sign here? Or should we put up a sign God at work? that it's God who is at work in us to do his will through us. Are we a church that seeks God and seeks to obey his will through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit for his glory and not our glory? Paul says, if these things are in Christ, and they are, then what I want you to do, verse 2, fulfill my joy, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. You know, it's just like, okay, unity means being of one mind. And so as the whole world becomes more and more anti-Christian, that one mind that they have is an anti-Christian mind. Where everything we say that's good, the world says, no, that's bad. Everything the Bible says is bad, the world says, no, that's good. Okay? Uh, So you could have unity outside of Christ, but it's an anti-Christian unity. So even the world shares one mind. Christian unity, you share one mind, but Paul will say in this passage, it is the mind of Christ. Okay? This is hard even for pastors. But it's hard for all Christians. 
It's easy for a pastor to come in with his own mind, walk into church on a Sunday morning with his own mind, his own agenda. If I'm doing that, that's called sin. I've got to take on the mind of Christ. I've got to view people through Jesus' eyes. I've got to love people with the love of the Lord. I've got to humble myself before the Lord. The only agenda I should have, and, and forgive me, you know, God's not through with me. He's not through with you either. I don't always have Jesus' agenda. I don't always have the mind of Christ. But the one agenda I should have, it's called the kingdom of God. Okay? And I don't know if you figured it out yet. The kingdom of God has only one king. And his name is Jesus. And there are kings around this globe and powerful people that have bowed before him. Even Napoleon in exile acknowledged that Jesus is God. He's like, this guy conquered the entire world without even having an army. He could not be merely a man. That's what Napoleon said. Even with his armies and his power, he couldn't conquer Europe. Yet Jesus has conquered the hearts of mankind throughout the centuries. And, um, but we need to be like-minded. You know, it's like, okay, there's a couple Raider fans up there. There's one over here. Probably most of you are Seahawk fans. There's some, you know, there's every congregation uh, probably has a Browns fan. I don't know why. But, um, um, but whatever the case, that's, that's all right. It, it, if NFL football is not the number one thing in your life, we can be like-minded. And I'll be totally honest with you. I know professing Christians that have more unity with, if they're Seahawk fans, they have more unity with Seahawk fans than they have with fellow Christians. Because Jesus doesn't even show up on their priority list. Okay? So I'll be totally honest with you. I don't care. I don't care if you hate NFL football and don't want to watch it. They've given us a lot of good reasons to not watch football anymore. Um, I, I don't care what your favorite baseball team is. Um, you know, I don't know what your favorite color is. My favorite color is silver and black. And, uh, but uh, um, what should concern me most of all is do you love Jesus? If you love Jesus and you're serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you're my brother. You're my sister. Okay? We're family. And I think our spiritual family should even be closer than our, than our physical family. Though I really encourage strong, close, physical families because God didn't just institute the church. He also instituted the family. But when you share Jesus, when you can koinonia, sharing what you have in common with others, when you can share Jesus with others, and they love Jesus, you love Jesus. I'll be honest with you, I think there's only two ways that we should communicate with people in the world. We should either fellowship or witness, period. I don't even see a third category. If they're unsaved, we ought to be sharing Jesus with them. Uh, and that doesn't always mean cramming the gospel down their throat. It might mean, oh, I'm working with a really irritable, non-believing person. 
I'm going to have to buy them coffee and show them that I care and love on them for six months, and maybe someday I'll be able to share Jesus with them. I can start saying God bless you to them right away, and if they don't hit me, I'll take that as they're okay with it, okay? Um, But you're either, when you deal with people, they're either moving you away from Jesus or you're moving them towards Jesus. When you're with other believers, we share what we have in common. His name is Jesus. When you're with non-believers, you share what we don't have in common. That's what witnessing is, okay? And, um, but Paul says, look, make my joy complete, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He's talking about being united in Christ, having on the mind taking on the mind of Christ. Uh, He tells us in verses 3 and 4, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. You know, my, my, you know, the sin in me wants us to say, um, let hardly anything be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But it says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. I mean, this even means when you lay down and get some sleep, you're getting rest because with that rest, it's going to make you a more productive warrior for Christ because of your love for God and your love for others. It's not all about you at the same time. If, uh, if you're real, real weary, you're not going to be of any, any service to the Lord, so if you can get that rest, get that rest. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Don't, man, I t- humility was, was and is a problem for me. I pray for it. When you pray for humility, boy, you get knocked around, okay? Um, but um, uh, I was very arrogant before I got saved. And... Um, and that's tough to work on, but you don't want that. You don't want to be conceited. Why would you be conceited? Why would I be conceited? We deserve the flames of hell. You might say, well, not, not anymore. I'm a believer. No, it, you're saved by grace. It's a free gift. We still can't earn heaven. Okay? It's a free gift from God. And, uh, and so there's no reason for us to be conceited. You know, it's like that old Frank Sinatra song, I Did It My Way. Let me tell you, you do it your way from uh, the womb to the tomb. You do it your way, there's a place for you. It's called hell. Okay? As like C.S. Lewis said, it all comes down to what Jesus prayed in the garden. It's either thy will be done, not my will, or my will be done, not your will. And, um, and so we need to acknowledge the universe. When, you, when you're born, you think the whole universe was created for you, okay? I'll give you some parenting advice. You don't have to teach little babies how to be bad. That comes natural. Now you've got to correct them and teach them how to be good, which is unnatural, okay? Um, and... Um, but this idea, the whole world revolves around me. I'm telling you, Trinity Bible Fellowship doesn't revolve around me. Okay? Even if God puts you in a position of leadership 
in a ministry, the only kind of biblical leadership God acknowledges is, is servant leadership. And so it's my job to serve you, uh, but my boss is the Lord Jesus. Your boss is the Lord Jesus. There's no, no reason for being conceited, okay? Um, so let nothing be done from selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Okay? That's not easy to esteem others better than yourself. Okay? But that's our job. And you might think, well, well, hold on, Pastor Phil. I've been studying the Bible for 50 years. Why should I consider some brand new believer doesn't even have John 3.16 memorized? Why should I esteem him higher than me? Humanly speaking, it's like, well, that sounds like a good argument. Paul's going to say, no, not from God's perspective. He's going to give us Jesus as the example. God the Son became a man, and he put our needs before his own. His human nature, in his human nature, he had needs. No, but I'm such a good guy that other guys are real... Real jerk. I'm not going to put his knees before him. Hey, let me tell you. Jesus came to earth to save jerks. Of whom I am the worst, okay? You know, loser. Loser is such a, I would never call a person a loser. Uh, lots of people have called me losers. But before I got saved and after I got saved. But, um, but the fact of the matter is, we're all losers till we turn to Jesus. And then we win. But we don't win because anything we did, he gives us the victory. He won the victory. And uh, so we're supposed to esteem others better than ourselves. Verse 4, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. That's the way you get unity. So, So Paul is saying, look, if there's any encouragement in Christ, and there is, make my joy complete, okay? Because of what Christians have in Christ, uh, the Philippians can make Paul's joy complete by being Christ-like and acting like Christ. We can be like-minded. We can have one agenda. It's called the kingdom of God, okay? Um, and it's got one king. His name is Jesus. It's not you. It's not me. We can have the same love, the love of God that's poured out in our hearts. Let that overflow to others. Okay? Having the same love, being of one accord. Okay? There might be some differences in our church. How do we accomplish God's will? And we pray about it and try to get direction from the Lord. But being of one accord means, look, we got one mission. And we want to hear different views on it, okay? But let's not uh, divide uh, over that. Being a one accord, being like-minded, he's saying be united in Christ. Let Jesus be our unity. If we come in here today with 60 different minds, 60 different agendas, then we don't have unity. But if we come in here with the mind of Christ, we can have unity, okay? 
I'm, I'm telling you, it's, uh, I think it's becoming incredibly easy in some sense. Other senses, it's becoming harder. But uh, it's becoming easier, I think, for churches to be built on the mind of Christ. Because all, all we have to do is just study our Bible and look at what the world's doing and then do the exact opposite. Our culture is getting so anti-Christian. Okay, And believe me, there are churches, even in our area, churches, some of the churches are supposed to still be Bible-believing churches, but they think the way to grow is to become more and more like the world. And they just keep compromising more and more. Okay, Believe me, the day is going to come when the true remnant, the true believers, when, you know, the day is going to come when some of us are going to be locked up and there's going to be a lot of our quote-unquote Christian friends are going to be saying, yeah, I know there was some, knew there was something wrong about him. And what it is is they just keep changing the goalpost. As the world changes, they change with them. Those who stick to the word of God and stand on the word of God, we start looking weirder and weirder and weirder. And then eventually there's no place for us. God's going to call some of us to be loud Christians and we get locked up. God's going to, and then we're going to have great prison ministries. And then some, God's going to call some of us to be quiet Christians, to meet in the home. Because there will be a remnant. Um, I'm hoping that we can push that off to the next generation. And then the next generation push it off to the next one. Uh, but if it's going to happen, it's going to be by the power um, of God. But we've got to have no selfish ambition you got to come here for Jesus and for others. This is why Jesus said, he summed up the whole law as loving God with everything you got and your neighbor as yourself. Okay? And, you know, there's times when I'm not doing that. There's probably times when you're not doing that. But we got to put, it's a whole secret of joy. Jesus first, others second, yourself third. Okay, and don't don't give me credit for that statement. I don't know who I stole it from, but that guy doesn't know who he stole it from either. Uh, but put Jesus first, others second, yourself third. No selfish ambition or conceit. Have lowliness of mind, humility. You know, it's like James says in James four ten. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord; He will exalt you. It's not your job to exalt yourself, to lift yourself up. It's your job to lay low. It's your job to humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and then he'll exalt you. So I don't even focus on crowns and thrones, which God's word promises to believers. Some good preachers, they do focus on them and get this real in-depth theology on it. I, I, I just try to focus on carrying a cross. You know, in Mark 8, 34 to 36, Jesus said, look, if you want to be my disciple, you want to follow me? Deny yourself, deny those selfish ambitions, deny yourself, pick up the cross, whatever mission God's given you. By the way, some of us, that cross is going to involve a whole lot of suffering. Some of us, that cross is not going to involve much suffering as compared to others, I would say. All believers are called to suffer. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.12. But um, 
But whatever the case, um, we've got to have that humility, humble ourselves before the Lord. You know, um, there's, uh, I don't teach middle schoolers, I teach high schoolers, but sometimes I come into my classroom and the middle schoolers who are there with another teacher, sometimes they leave garbage all over the floor. And so sometimes I got to get on all fours picking up garbage because our custodians are so understaffed, I try to clean my own room. I don't do a great job, but I try to clean my own room. And so sometimes I'm on all fours picking up stuff, and every once in a while I'll pick up something. I'm like, ooh, that was in a middle schooler's mouth. Okay? And the temptation is to think, wait a minute. You know, I'm Dr. Phil Fernandez. I'm an apologist. People all over the world listen to my lectures. I'm not supposed to be on the floor picking up yucky stuff left for me by middle schoolers. But then what does the Holy Spirit say? What did Jesus do 2,000 years ago? He washed the disciples' feet. Okay? If Jesus could, if God the Son could become a man and he could humble himself and walk a life of lowliness, what makes us think that we're so important? We get a pass. Okay? And, um, and I'm telling you, I love that there are Christians with the gift of encouragement who encourage each other and encourage me. But every time I get encouraged, I thank the person because they're doing a good thing, but I know the evil one wants to take control of that. Somebody said, that was a great sermon you preached, Pastor Phil. Oh, thank you very much. But then I'll try to say, um, you know, acknowledge, yeah, there's area in my life that... Um, I need a lot of work, as we all do. And um, so always remind yourself, none of us, Paul's going to mention it later in Philippians, none of us have yet to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Until we see Jesus face to face and he changes us in the twinkling of an eye, we're not going to be perfectly in God's will. Okay? And... um, and so God's still working on me. He's still working on you. We need to hold each other accountable, okay? Uh, but don't be helping somebody get the speck out of their eye if you've got a log in your eye. Make sure God's called you, okay? But, um, but you've got to have lowly, lowliness of mind. Rather than selfish ambition, you've got to be humble, and you've got to put others' needs before your own. That my brothers and sisters, is not easy to do. Put others' needs before your own. If you don't have anything and somebody's like, hey, you know, I'm really hurt and I can't buy groceries, if you're in the same mess, you'll just tell them, say, all I can do is pray for you. That's all, I, that's all I've got. I mean, even when a lame man asked uh, Peter and John for money, Peter said, silver and gold we don't have. Then he said, what I do have, I give you. Rise and walk in the name of Jesus. And the guy was healed. But Peter and John were broke. Okay? So maybe all you could do is pray. But if you got plenty of of groceries and your pantry is runneth over and somebody's hungry, you're not supposed to just say, okay, 
uh, you know, I'll pray for you, okay? If God's blessed you to help a brother or sister, uh, then, then, then reach out to them. But by the way, don't, do not get me wrong. God calls us to different ministries, okay? Um, I praise God that we have Christians who minister to heroin addicts, okay? But if I try to minister just to one or two heroin addicts and give them all the attention that they need, I'm not be, I would not be able to be the shepherd, the under-shepherd of this church, nor would I be able to be the, the teacher um, at the school I teach at. So keep in mind, I'm not saying that you have to turn in something into your full-time ministry if that's not what it is. God's called some of us to some ministries and others to others. He's given us different gifts. At the same time, are we really putting the needs of others uh, before our own? Okay? And uh, now, at this point, we could be scratching our heads and be thinking like, you know, Paul, come on, man. I'm an important guy. You're telling me to put the interest of not, not so important people above my own and this and that. So Paul's going to give a big smackdown here to that kind of attitude. Okay? And um, he's going to give us the perfect example of humble service. And, um, and what we're going to see in verses 5 to 8, we're going to see the divine humiliation of Jesus. Okay, just think of yourself as a human being if you became a slug, how humiliating that would be, okay? Well, God the Son, the infinite God, by becoming a man, uh, you, know, we, you know, if a cat were able to become a man, you'd think, wow, what a promotion for the cat. Well, God the Son, now, he did not cease to be God, but by adding a human nature, that's a humiliating thing. I don't know any other way to say it. God the Son became a man. He humbled himself and became a man. And his mother had to change his diapers. Now, if you're God, as is Jesus, you're the all-powerful, all-good, omnipresent God, And you choose to humble yourself and become a human being, a little stinky baby that's going to grow up and learn like we learn, that's humiliation, okay? And, uh, uh, and so Paul's going to say, look, I'll give you an example of putting others' needs before your own. I'll give you an example of not putting yourself first. And this is the kind of humility that we need if we're going to have unity in the church. Here's the example, Paul says. Let's, verse 5, let's the, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay? So, and, and by the way, verses 5 through 8 are going to be the divine humiliation of Christ. But then verses... 9 through 11 are the divine exaltation, where Jesus humbled himself by becoming a man, even to the point of death on the cross, the most shameful way to die, but then God is going to exalt him 
for doing that. Now, Jesus is the creator, but he also became part of the creation by becoming a man. Well, Jesus is, has been promoted by being obedient to the Father and by becoming a, a, a man, by adding a human nature to his divine nature, two distinct natures, one person forever, by God the Son becoming a man, being obedient to the Father, providing salvation for us. God accepted that, raised his son from the dead, okay? And, uh, and so now Jesus has been promoted within creation. As God, he can't be promoted. You can't get any higher than God. But as one of us, as part of the creation, he has been promoted to the firstborn over all creation, the ruler over all creation. And he presently sits at the Father's right hand, the ultimate position of authority in the universe. That's exaltation. But the humiliation comes first. It's the same with us. James 4.10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will what? He will exalt you. Okay? And Jesus gave an example of this. He says, look, you go to a wedding feast, a wedding banquet, don't sit in the position of honor. You sit there and say, yeah, I know the... I know the groom or I know the bride. I'm going to sit in this place. Because somebody more important than you walks in, they're going to call him up, ask you to get up and send you to the back. And so he says, when you walk in, you just sit, sit in the back. And then if you get noticed and they bring you up front, you'll be exalted. But if we don't humble ourselves, we won't be exalted. So it's either humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you, or... It's exalt yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he will humble you. You want the biggest example of that? That's taken on the mind of Lucifer. Lucifer exalted himself in God's presence. And believe me, his humiliation, the full extent of that, we're going to see that when Jesus comes back and he gets chained up in the abyss for a thousand years while Jesus rules on earth. Then he gets released for one final rebellion, and then he gets tossed into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. Um, so humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. He will exalt you. So let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, let me say this. Um, I'm going to get off on a little tangent, but I think it's a very important tangent because it's, it's just as important for us to know what Paul is not saying here as it is to know what Paul is saying. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, when he died on the cross, did he or did he not set a good example for us? Yes, but it's a heresy to say that that's the most important thing that Jesus accomplished on the cross. If you think the main reason why Jesus died on the cross, became a man and died on the cross, if you think the main reason for him doing that is to set an example for us so that we could save ourselves by our works, that's what liberal Christianity is. That's what false Christianity is. Okay? Um, so Jesus, Paul is not saying here that Jesus set the example as the main reason why he died Therefore, he's the way shower. Jesus is not the way shower. He is the way. Okay? 
So I just want to go over a few passages to remind you that Paul, Peter, the Apostle John, Jesus himself, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, that Jesus, the main reason why Jesus died was to be a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. He took our punishment for us and died in our place. God is totally just. He cannot forgive sin unless it's been paid for in full. Jesus is the ultimately worthy substitute sacrifice who paid the ransom price for our sins. That's why Paul uses words like redemption. Jesus set us free from the slavery of sin by paying the price for our sins. He took our punishment for us. That's why he uses words like propitiation. Jesus satisfied God's wrath and God's justice by dying on the cross for our sins. Uh, So the main reason why Jesus died was to be a substitute sacrifice for our sins, to take our punishment for us. A secondary reason for uh, Jesus' death on the cross was to conquer Satan and his works. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3.15, that a man would be born of woman who would crush the head of the serpent while the serpent bruised his heel. So it was a prediction that went out to all mankind who came from Adam and Eve that someday God would send a, a man who would be born of a woman who would defeat Satan and his works but himself would suffer in the process. That prediction of a suffering savior. Okay? Now, there's some application, though, here, too. So Paul can say, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, um, he's showing us how to put others' needs before our own. Okay? So, yes, Jesus died to set an example for us but that's an inadequate explanation if you act like that's all that his death on the cross did, okay? Um, Jesus did set an example. He said, you know, you should be willing to die uh, for, for what is true and what is good. You should be willing to die for others, okay? So Jesus did set a good example for us, the perfect example for us. That's not the main reason why he died on the cross. main reason why he died on the cross was to take your punishment and my punishment so we don't have to go to hell. So we can trust in him for salvation. So I want to just look at a few passages on that real quick. When you get a chance, read Romans 3, verses 20 to 31, and you'll see where Paul talks about redemption and propitiation, Jesus satisfying um, the, um, the Father's wrath and justice by dying on the cross for our sins. In John 1.29, John the Baptist sees Jesus, he points to him and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus died on the cross to take away uh, our sins. But look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. In verse 24, 1 Peter chapter 2, 
verse 24. He's talking about Jesus. And he says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes, whose suffering, whose scourging and crucifixion, by whose stripes you are healed, you're spiritually healed. So Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree, on the cross. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for our sins. The just, that's Jesus, for the unjust, that's you and me. Don't ever think you're not mentioned in the Bible. You're mentioned a lot in the Bible. I'm mentioned a lot in the Bible. My name is unjust. Where it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There, uh, all, there is none righteous, no, not one. It's talking about me. And that's talking about you. Okay? It's easy for us to say, yeah, that's talking about Joe Schmo over there. But wait, wait, it's talking about you first. Okay? But Jesus died the just for the unjust. 1 Peter 3.18 for Christ also suffered once for all the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive. He was raised by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, again, suffered once for all the just one for the unjust. It's as, as our, he died as our substitute, that he might bring us uh, to God. Um, just, just to let you show, this, this was taught in the Old Testament. Look at Isaiah 53 which has very specific prophecies about Jesus' suffering. Isaiah 53. In fact, you want to talk about exaltation. Sometimes the Bible will be talking about lifted up, and sometimes it's not. You know, it's like John uh, 12, verse 32. Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto myself. But John said he was talking about the way in which he would die. So sometimes the Bible uses a play on words, okay? And in, in Isaiah 52, starting at verse 13, it talks about Messiah will be exalted and lifted very high. And then men will turn their heads because his image will be so marred and, um, and, and, and so disgusting. It's talking about, it's talking about, Messiah is going to be exalted, lifted up on a cross. People aren't even going to be able to look at him. The God who gave us everything that is good, created us, came to this planet, and we slaughtered him. But then it runs right into Isaiah 53. Man put the chapter breaks in there. And um, he says about Jesus, verses 5 and 6, of Isaiah 53. But he was wounded for what? Wounded just to set an example for us? No. But he was wounded for our transgressions, our sins. He was bruised for our iniquities. Another way of saying sins. I mean, Isaiah is using just about every word you could use for sin to get the point across. That Jesus didn't die for himself. He died for you. He died for me. By the way, Isaiah the prophet, because he's a prophet, is saying this 700 years earlier. Okay, 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. 
Uh, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our, for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God placed our sins upon the Lord Jesus for him to take the punishment for us. Verse 8, he was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? He died without having physical offspring, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. Again, he died because of our sins. He died for our sins. Verses 10 to 12. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He, was, he has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for what? An offering for sin. So as the Old Testament animals were sacrificed for sin, that just pointed forward. Yeah, bloodshed of animals didn't take away sins. It just pointed forward, someday God is going to send the ultimately worthy substitute sacrifice, the ultimately worthy Lamb of God, who is going to shed his blood and suffer um, uh, for our sins. So yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. Wait a minute. I thought he has, his generation gets cut off. He has spiritual seed. We're of that spiritual seed. He shall see his seed. About 2 billion people on the planet Earth, about 2.3 billion people on the planet Earth profess to be Christians right now. Okay? And by the way, forget about America and Europe. Christianity's in decline there. There are way more Christians in Asian countries, Central and South American countries, and African countries, way more in each one of those places than there are if you counted all the Americans, Christian and non-Christian, okay? Um, God, boy, God is at work. The Holy Spirit is at work in the world right now, not in the West, not in the prosperous West. We're a bunch of spoiled brats, but God is on the move big time throughout the world, and uh, he shall see his seed 2,000 years later, man. We're talking billions of people. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. I remember my grandson, he was eight years old. He's not eight years old anymore. And uh, he's a little guy. And they brought the Dead Sea Scrolls to the Seattle Science Center. And I got to this passage, and I pointed it out to him. And they had the, the Hebrew scroll, and then they had the English translation. And I didn't know if the people behind us were... Christians, atheists, or Jews. So I said, wait a minute. It says Messiah is going to be cut off and have nothing, and then God's going to prolong his days. How can God prolong the days of Messiah if the Messiah dies? My grandson said, by raising him from the dead. And I said, right. And then that group of people left, and another group came up. So I asked them the same question. So my grandson was like, you know, my grandfather's losing it, you know. And, uh, but he answered it correctly that time. So even an eight-year-old kid could figure out what's going on in this passage. By the way, with Isaiah 53, the 700 Club, they took back then, this was like 30 years ago or so, but they took the most obnoxious reporter they had. 
I used to have to turn off the 700 Club because the guy got on my nerves. And, um, you know, the kind of guy makes a point and goes in your face and just, like, goes right through you. But they put him, they made him the man on the mic, the man on the street with the microphone. And as people in Jerusalem walked by, he'd read Isaiah 53 to them. And he'd say, now, who is that written about? And they'd say, oh, that's easy. It's written about Jesus. And they'd say, okay, now, you do understand this was written by one of your prophets, Isaiah the prophet, 700 years. It's in your Old Testament, written 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. And then they would get mad and say, well, then it's not about Jesus, and they'd storm away. I'm t- let, me, let me tell you something. The evidence that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah and the Savior of mankind and God incarnate is so incredibly strong. The problem is human beings suppress the truth if we don't like it. Okay? Um, but here, God's going to prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. We declare righteous through Jesus. Why? For he shall bear their what? Their iniquities, their sins. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. He was killed with criminals, and he bore what? He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He even prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not uh, what they do. Now, so basically what I'm saying is the main reasons, I mean, you can even look, look at Colossians 2.15 real quick here. Colossians 2.15. Paul says this about Jesus, a secondary reason very important for Jesus dying on the cross. Colossians 2.15, just a few pages after the page that you're on in Philippians, that Christ, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And what he's talking about is Jesus has conquered Satan and his demons. Remember when we studied Ephesians, Our battle is not against flesh and blood, against humans, but it's against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, and Jesus has defeated them. Now, just think of four or five of your least favorite politicians, whether they're American politicians. It shouldn't be too hard. There's there's hundreds you could pick. Um, But just picture your four or five most Famous politicians or multi-billionaires that you don't like because they think you think you're pretty convinced they want to stomp out your freedom. Even global politicians um, uh, all over the world. Okay, and you think, man, these guys, these guys are going to win. They're going to step all over us. They're going to crush us. They got so much power. Let me tell you, Paul will say, no, you know, say that's the flesh and blood. That's the minor leagues. You think they're bad? You know, people who want to remove six billion people from the planet Earth and are very popular and powerful in the United Nations circles? Population control nuts. They want to use environmental extremism to get us 
out of our vehicles and out of our homes into little city cubicles where they can determine every little thing that we do. And we say, wow, these are powerful people. No, Paul says, no, 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 it, 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 it's, Phil, you're wrong. Those are not the real enemy. The real enemy are way bigger and way stronger than them. They're these high-ranking demonic powers. If you saw one of these things manifest itself, you'd probably die of a heart attack on the spot. You know, Paul would say, Phil, you're intimidated by Bill Gates? Wait till you see the powers that are behind them. But then Paul would say, now keep in mind, Phil, they're defeated. Because 2,000 years ago, the carpenter from Nazareth, God the Son become a man. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Peter, Paul, and John. He became one of us. And he died on the cross for our sins. Took our punishment for us. He died as a substitute sacrifice for our sins. But he also took his foot and he crushed the head of the serpent. If God is for you, why would you fear man? Who can be against and so you want to pity somebody, don't pity yourself when his government takes his foot and tries to stomp on you. Don't pity yourself, pity them. For there is a king. And he comes from far, far away. And he visited us once. And he humbled himself. And he provided salvation for us. He loves us so much, he died for us. And the Father raised him from the dead. Eventually, he ascended to heaven. He's at the Father's right hand. But this far, far away king, he's coming back. It's not like he's coming back and he's going to have victory. Through his death and resurrection, he already won. He's just waiting for the last person of this age to turn to him for salvation and then he's going to come and he's going to take what's his, what's rightfully his. And, um, and so uh, Jesus and his death on the cross, he died as a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins, um, to cover our sin, to make us at peace with God, to reconcile us to God. Paul could say in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 21, and he made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, God made him who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So keep that in mind when next week we go into how Jesus set an example for us. Just keep in mind, Jesus setting an example for us by dying on the cross was not the primary reason why Jesus died on the cross. Jesus is not a way shower. He is the way. He died on the cross to be a substitute sacrifice. Now Paul's going to say, also though, one of the implications of that. He set an example for us. I'm going to read the passage. We'll look at it next week, the divine humiliation. Starting at verse 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So take on the attitude or the mind of Christ, who, being in the form of God, see, he didn't cease to be God. He is still God. Being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. We'll talk about that, what that means but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant 
and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So we're going to look at that next week, the divine humiliation, God the Son being humiliated for us, being willing. When Jesus walked around in his human nature, did Jesus think, you know, uh, you know what, I really need to, to get scourged by the Romans, and I really need to get crucified and to suffer for six hours on the cross. No, Jesus didn't need that. Like everyone that has a human nature, we desire self-preservation. So when God the Son became a man, it was like, this is why he cried out to the Father, Father, if there's any other way to save mankind, let this cup of suffering and death pass from me. But not my will, but your will be done. And he went to the cross. And he could have called on his angels, millions of them, powerful angels to rescue him. But instead, he chose to stay on that cross. What caused him to stay on a cross? God, the creator, nailed to a cross by his creation. What caused him to stay on that cross? You know what it was? Because he was thinking about you. And he was thinking about me. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about what we needed. We needed to be saved. He wasn't thinking about himself. You want, you want, to, you want to transform your world? The most radical, revolutionary thing you can ever do is to put on the mind of Christ. To live for Jesus, not for yourself, and to put the needs of others before your own. So we'll look at the divine humiliation next week. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we love you, Lord. We know we don't love you enough. We serve you, Lord, but we, don't, we know we don't serve you enough. And we know, Lord, that sometimes we do things, even quote-unquote good things, in our own strength. So may we humble ourselves before you, Lord, and acknowledge that apart from you we could do nothing that would please you. And so I pray, Lord, that we would totally depend on the Lord Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to empower us to be your people, to put Jesus first, to love others as we love ourselves, and to put the needs of others before our own. And Lord, we, we can't force people to become Christians. We can't force our world to be united in Christ. But help us, Lord, as a church, and help all the Bible-believing churches throughout Kitsap County Washington State, America, and the world help all Bible-believing churches to be united in Christ, to be united in that which is true, to be united in that which is good. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, I would pray that the Holy Spirit would empower us to be like Jesus, to view others through Jesus' eyes and to put the needs of others before our own. I pray that we would not receive the glory, but we would give the glory 
to our King, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, for he is good. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.